0: Welcome to Eczema Out Loud, from the National Eczema Association. I'm Danny Morsehead. Today I'm joined by Wendy Smith-Bogolka and Isabel Thibault. Wendy and Isabel make up the National Eczema Association's research team. At the National Eczema Association, we conduct our own research to directly address gaps in the understanding of the lived experiences of those with eczema. Wendy and Isabel are joining me to talk a bit about the research that the National Eczema Association does, why we do it, and what we have found from it. Wendy and Isabel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I would love for each of you to introduce yourselves. Tell me about what you do here at the National Eczema Association. Maybe we can start with Wendy.
1: Sure. Thanks, Danny. Um, so I'm Wendy Smith-Bagolka. I'm NIA's Vice President of Scientific and Clinical Affairs. And while my title is a little bit of a mouthful and includes many different dimensions of work within NIA, I think for me, it's all tied together with the goal of sort of harnessing data and science to improve the lives of patients.
0: And did the National Eczema Association's research program start with you joining the team?
1: It did. I was the sort of first director of research and have since expanded that role.
2: Great. Isabel. Uh, my name is Isabel Thibault, and I'm the senior manager of community research at NIA. And I joined at the beginning of 2020, uh, and it was right before the pandemic hit. Um, and I've been having a great experience diving into the, the eczema research landscape. Uh, My background is in public health, um, so I'm definitely learning a lot from Wendy when it comes to eczema research. My focus is, uh, well, all of you in the audience have these unique experiences with eczema. Uh, When taken all together, they paint the larger picture of what living with eczema is like. Mm. So in my role, I design research to collect those stories and help paint the picture.
0: Great. Uh, Let's get into Nia's research. So why did we start doing our own research here at the National Eczema Association?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question, Danny. And and I think there there are several reasons really why we started doing it, but it's to really help patients and families that are affected by eczema, you know, collectively be heard and um, really to enhance that conversation that is happening, or in some cases perhaps isn't happening around eczema. And uh, as Isabel just mentioned, you know, while there's a lot more research now than perhaps ever before in the eczema field, there's still so much about living with eczema that really isn't fully understood or is underappreciated, for example, for its significance, its impact, its seriousness in the lives of patients and their loved ones and Um, So we can think of this as really some some gaps in research or gaps in knowledge, but what it really represents is is really a a relatively new area of research overall that's called real-world data collection. And at NIA, I like to think of this as real, real real-world data collection because we're really talking to patients about their everyday life experience, not just what happens to them when they're in the doctor's office, as we know, you know, that's obviously part of their care and treatment, but they spend the majority of their life just living their life. And we want to understand what this broader landscape looks like. And so we already know the value of the patient voice, but through this new, you know, research we do area, which as Isabel said, includes surveys. It also includes eczema wise, which we can talk about as well, you know, we're really asking those important and perhaps different questions from other researchers and and turning that power of of one voice into the power of many using a really robust scientific uh, framework that will be well received and well respected by a lot of individuals.
0: So you mentioned those gaps in research that we're trying to fill with um, our own surveys and research. Uh, What are those gaps? And why are they there? Can you give us some examples of them?
2: There are so many things that we can learn from patients and caregivers. Um, we have five surveys that we've done to date um, that have focused on things from burden of disease, so like uh, symptoms, quality of life. Uh, they focused on financial impact um, and also understanding things like clinical trial participation and why maybe there's not as much participation as we'd hope. Um, and what affects people's um, motivation to participate. Also understanding how patients work with their healthcare providers to make decisions about treatments. Um, So the the range in topics are almost endless. um, And we like to do several surveys a year to really get at uh, some answers to our questions.
1: And maybe if I could add on to that, you know, Danny, you asked one of the questions was, you know, why are the gaps there? And I think that's, that's such an important question. Um, the, the scholarly literature that's available that um, people like clinicians or other researchers or healthcare providers draw on is really a prime way that people continue to expand their understanding of, of eczema or really any disease. And so what we have appreciated through listening to our community is that patients have a unique voice. They have their own unique expertise that can sometimes complement, but also sometimes contradict what others might think. And so it's really important that we're bringing Uh, a more broadened perspective about what the eczema lived experience looks like and those impacts so that we can make sure that as the conversation around eczema continues and as we continue to learn more about this disease, we're making sure that patients and and their insights also have as much prominence as the other experiences and the other insights do from from other experts in the field. And so we really then kind of serve as the megaphone for that by collecting all this information through surveys.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you decide what information is worth collecting? Um, where do you get the ideas for the survey topics?
1: Well, I mean, to start it's it's several places really, but to start off with, I think it it generally comes from our community and and what I would probably call active listening. Um, most of the things that we have started to look at in our surveys and some of the surveys that Isabel just mentioned, the initial nugget of of why we started to go down that pathway and explore it was something that we've heard right from community members. Um, so a, a good example of that, just to give um, give a, t- a flavor of it, actually could be from our out-of-pocket survey, um, out-of-pocket expenses survey that we did and are still in the process of um, getting data out related to the information you shared with us. But we heard the eczema community talk about Many different health related strategies and products that they use to manage their eczema. And, and this was really driven home during a meeting that we had with the FDA in 2019, where patients and caregivers shared pictures of what I kind of call their medicine cabinet, you know, everything they use or have used recently. And needless to say, those pictures paint a really, really compelling story about. Um, you know, not only the sheer magnitude of products that people use, but you can assume then sort of by extension the cost that they have incurred to try all of these different things. So the point of the survey was to turn that picture into data. You know, what is the breadth of health related items that people use? What is that financial impact? What drives higher or lower costs? And there was obviously an important focus on prescription medicines and doctor visits in the literature already, but that was clearly only part of the story. So there's, a, I hope, a good example of how we turn what we sort of hear from our community into actual data that others can then learn from. So where do
0: you collect this information for this survey and the others?
2: Mia does a great job of collecting uh, various different kinds of information on different platforms. You know, we... Uh, As part of that active listening, we're always listening and and looking at what people comment on uh, in social media to, you know, what the conversations are happening at our yearly expo. Um, But as far as collecting data in a systematic way, uh, we have uh, these surveys that uh, are designed uh, not only by experts, but also with involvement from patients and caregivers in the community um, and I think that's an important part to highlight because we want to make sure that uh, the patients and caregivers um, are involved in a way that we incorporate what matters to them uh, in the in our surveys. So uh, we also have expert input from clinical researchers, from doctors, um, and you know, we, we develop this instrument that can collect data. Uh, lots of data from lots of different people. And in the end, we are able to paint this picture of the lived experience of eczema. And people are able to take these surveys online? Yes. Yeah, so we do online surveys. Uh, we have this broad reach through our, not, not only our network, but, you know, we try to uh, get this out through social media um, and other uh, online avenues that you know, where we can reach a lot of different people, not just in our, uh, in our NIA community, um, and anyone can participate. That's great.
0: I want to go into a bit about how you use the research findings, um, that you get gathered from these surveys, but before we go there, are there other surveys that you can touch on that have, um, you've completed or that you're in the process of completing that are relevant
2: or exciting? Yeah. Um, I can tell you about our, um, you know, five surveys to date. Um, as Wendy mentioned, we had an out-of-pocket expenses survey that was done in, in late twenty nineteen. Um, before that, we had a um, patient focused, uh, sorry, patient focused drug development survey that was part of a complement to this big FDA event. Um, I guess Wendy, you can better explain the PFTD meeting.
1: That survey was about um, sharing with the FDA sort of the the burden of uh, of eczema, but also identifying the most burdensome symptoms and areas of unmet need. Because the FDA, as a regulator of all new treatments, has has an interest in understanding uh, not only what's most important to patients, but sort of the the risk-benefit assessment. You know, what would patients be most interested from a symptom perspective in having alleviated Uh, So that was a a really interesting and informative uh, survey that we shared with the FDA. What was the title of that one, the formal title? That one, so the meeting itself was called the More Than Skin Deep Meeting. Uh, There's actually information on our website. It was actually a collaboration uh, of NIA with four other patient advocacy organizations that are in the eczema space. Uh, we held it in 2019 and uh, we're still in the process of analyzing that data the information that came out in the report you can see the results uh, of the survey uh, as well as some interesting and very um, compelling uh, sort of statements from the presentees at the meeting around uh, what they have experienced throughout their life but then we're still in the process of analyzing this information to learn further. Um, I mean, and I think that's the perhaps the underappreciated part of our work is that, you know, there's the deeper you dig into data, the, the more insights you find.
0: Mm-hmm. Before you go to the next survey, what was the biggest takeaway from the results of that survey? I understand you're still analyzing them, but
1: yeah, wow. Well, so many, but, um, you know, one of the things that has particularly stuck with me on that one is, you uh, and I guess one of the key takeaways out of the meeting as well was we asked participants in the survey to really rank their um, most burdensome symptoms. And so we came up with a, a ranked list, if you will, from sort of one to 10. I forget how many things were on the list, but, and as you might expect, you know, some of the things that we, we've we heard about from our community all the time, like itch and skin redness and sleep were, were the top three. But I think what was most interesting about that is that it wasn't 100%, meaning like not everybody ranked itch as number one, not everybody ranked itch as red, redness as number two, and not everybody ranked sleep as number three. And so what was so striking to me about that is it really drove home in a very unique way that heterogeneity of disease that we we all know is, is what our community experiences, that eczema isn't a one size fits all, you know, it affects everybody differently. It has different impacts. And, and I think that graph, while it highlighted, or that information, while it highlighted some of what we would have suspected, if the longer you sit with it, the longer I think you see a different picture. And that to me was incredibly compelling. Mm. Yeah.
2: So uh, another recent survey was the clinical trials experience survey. Um, and we did this because we know that there's not enough participation in eczema clinical trials, it's, and, and there are there's this huge boom in clinical trials for all these new treatments for eczema that are coming out. Some nuance that we gathered from this survey is that there is this large fraction of people who are considering a clinical trial or who um, tried to participate before, And what this tells us is that there's a lot of interest out there um, in clinical trials. Maybe people just haven't taken that step to enroll in one. So um, something that we're interested in learning further from the data are how do we get people over that hump? How do we get more people to participate in clinical trials? We also had a survey on shared decision-making to better understand how patients and caregivers work with their eczema healthcare provider to make decisions about their treatment. Um, And so with this survey, again, that was um, done in early 2021 this year, um, and we're still analyzing the data, but um, it's telling us a lot about uh, people's preferences for making decisions in the doctor's office um, and past experiences that can maybe shed some light on um, how, uh, what is important for someone um, when making a decision about their treatment, which could then inform you know, what kind of resources maybe that we can provide um, to patients and caregivers to make that easier or to educate the, the provider community on how to facilitate that conversation. Because the thing about shared decision-making is we know that it, um, it leads to better health outcomes. So how, what can we do to uh, make sure that that happens in an office, in a, in a provider's office?
0: Mm-hmm. What do you do with the, those survey results? Um, how do you use them or present them? Um, what, what goes on after the survey closes? Let's go with that.
1: Sure. So um, I can start and I know Isabel can chime in as well. I mean, a primary goal of of all of this research that we're talking about is is to, first of all, publish the findings um, in peer reviewed scientific literature and, and take advantage of those opportunities to share it with the scientific and medical community, primarily at meetings where we know a lot of those um, like-minded individuals are going to be congregating and and I, I can't overstress the importance of us doing that because what what publishing in the peer review literature really does is it it sort of gives it like a stamp of validity if you will once this information is in the published realm it can really be used by a lot of different people and and then Nia is no longer the sole carrier of it you know we can, actually have that message be amplified by other individuals who can then take it and use it in their work, share it with their colleagues. It's sort of like, you know, the, and so on and so on and so on, you know, it just continues to to grow and expand. So that is a really important first step. I mean, our goal is to be able to continue to be asking these questions again and again over a long-term because we wanna understand, especially as we know the framework of eczema is gonna change, how are things changing for our community? What can we say about where we are now, and then what will we be what will be be able to say in five years, as an example?
0: Mm-hmm. It feels like the more you find out, the more questions you have to ask.
1: <laughs> Absolutely,
2: that is research. <laughs> and and I love. Um, I love Wendy's point about amplifying uh, patient and caregiver voices, amplifying what we find. That really is our next step. Once the survey ends, our next step is to say, okay, how can we amplify this? Um, How can we align our programs at NIA uh, and and resources to address maybe some of those unmet needs? Um, And I think a great example of this is with the uh, clinical trials survey where the results of that survey really did directly inform the creation of several resources. Um, We now have a clinical trials hub on Nia's webpage and a clinical trials informational video, a frequently asked question page that I think is an important uh, next step to providing patients and caregivers um, with, tools to equip them to then engage in clinical trials, or at least start on the path to thinking about uh, maybe participating in a clinical trial in the future.
0: Mm -hmm. Are there other specific interesting findings you want to touch on?
1: Every single question that we get an answer to is incredibly interesting. But I think the things that get me and perhaps Isabel, you know, the most excited are the things that you don't expect. There have definitely been some real wow moments, I think, for me um, for out of pocket, just to go back to that one, you know, as we're still in the process of kind of polishing up the final publications here, but what the very first publication that came out of that, I mean, to me had two really amazing things that have stuck with me. One was just, um, how little money people are spending on mental health. And I don't mean that from a perspective of like, wow, they should be spending a whole lot more, but it was just this idea that, there seems to be a little disconnect there. You know, we, we know how significant mental health is within our community, yet such few health-related dollars were actually going towards managing it. And so what is the reason for that? We don't know. But I think it definitely is a, you know, it piques the curiosity to want to understand, and maybe there are additional then, you know, resources we can be thinking about creating around accessing mental health once we have a little better understanding of why that is.
0: Mm-hmm. Isabel, do you have anything to touch on in that area?
2: we we make it a point to make sure our publications in scholarly journals are free to access you know it's not a pay to access sort of thing um, and that's also what we do when we put things on our website um, we're trying to write it up in a way that uh, makes sense to our community and and also conveys the importance of our findings so just again, emphasizing we're making research accessible to all of our audiences.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, I think that's so important. And maybe one other thing I would just add, we haven't talked a lot about it specifically, we've, we've talked more perhaps about our sort of individual surveys, but it's, it's really Eczema Wise. So Eczema Wise uh, is a, a unique app, um, also available as a, a mobile website that was developed by the National Eczema Association in concert with clinicians as well as patients and caregivers from our community to facilitate what we call shared decision-making or participatory medicine. It's this idea of um, tracking sort of things that are of importance to manage your eczema, such as itch, um, sleep, pain, Um, skin skin symptoms, et cetera. So through a series of trackers, people can input information and, and really observe how their disease might fluctuate over time or try to identify different triggers that might be important to help them better manage their disease. And then behind all of that, is is data. You know, it's this idea of creating a larger research um, database that can be utilized in the future by researchers in science that want to understand what it means, what it truly means to live with eczema every single day.
2: The great thing about EczemaWise is that you get uh, surveys straight to the app, so you know it's convenient. Um, and we do several surveys a year that are both inside and outside of EczemaWise. Um, and there happens to be a survey open right now on atopic dermatitis prescription treatments. Um, and, you know, we're committed to doing this because there is so much depth of experience to share. Um, so we hope that you'll sign up for eczemawise and maybe take a survey through it.
1: On the NEO website, there is a link to eczemawise, but it has a dedicated website, which is eczemawise.org.
0: That's great. And so, Isabel, are you the one who comes up
2: with the survey questions? I do, with, of course, input from our community and, you know, my colleagues and other uh, experts in the field. It really is a collaboration, even when it's, um, you know, what we would call a NIA survey. We want to make sure that we have diverse diverse perspectives and diverse input.
0: Uh, So you mentioned that people who want to participate in Nia Research can do so through the EczemaWise
2: app. Um, but where else might they be able to find surveys? Yeah, we, we post our surveys on our website, um, nationaleczema.org forward slash surveys. And that's where you can find uh, our, our current surveys and information about our past surveys. Um, and also you can sign up for our newsletter. We'll We announce surveys through that. I do wanna emphasize how important it is to participate in research. And we really couldn't do it without all of the the patients and caregivers who have participated to date there. Uh, in the last um, two and a half years alone, we've had over 7,000 respondents on all of our surveys. So that's a huge number. And we really wanna thank everyone who has contributed to all this knowledge that we're getting from you. Um, so thank you. Yes, thank you, everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's just such an important point, Isabel. And, and yes, I, I echo the thanks.
0: Thank you both for everything you do for the eczema community, for Nia. Thank,
1: thank you, me. it's our privilege.
0: Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and explaining Nia research to us. Thank you. Thank
1: okay. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Eczema Out Loud you can visit the National Eczema Association at www.nationaleczema.org. If you have feedback on this episode, or you'd like to send in a suggestion for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at eczema.org. We hope you'll
1: join us next time.